Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Teaching on uh, healing the sick, particularly the relationship that the Apostle Paul had with the healing gift. Paul's ministry of healing has been a real encouragement to me. Um, when I, um, when I'm, I gave the idea to Grove that I should write a book on um, healing and use Paul uh, as my model uh, rather than Jesus, uh, the publisher was a bit surprised and said, well, why didn't you choose Jesus? And I said, well, the reason I thought it would be better to look at Paul is because I'm not anything like Jesus, but I can perhaps be a bit like Paul. You follow? <laughs> you know, so uh, I, I, I'm, I feel a bit closer to Paul because Paul is a man operating as a sinful man forgiven by God in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so there's just something, maybe it's just psychological, I don't know, but trying to model you see the healing ministry of Jesus and think, well, this is amazing. Uh, uh, but there was a perfect man surrounded, you know, but in a, in, a, in a perfect lifestyle, you know. Whereas Paul was a man a bit like me and you. So the fact that Paul could lay hold of the power of the Holy Spirit in his life was a sort of a source of encouragement to me. And uh, so we're going to talk about being people, you know, ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. I think that however you look at Jesus, however you look at him as a model of our lives and, and, and our ministries, I think, and this isn't a problem, but I think it's a fact, there's something unique about Jesus. <laughs> and there's something unique about his ministry. For example, in Jesus' ministry, he has messianic signs. He opens the eyes of the blind to show people that he is the light of the world. Well, I'm not the light of the world. I suppose in, in a Sermon on the Mount sense, I'm the light of the world. But he raises Lazarus to show that he is the resurrection and the life. He, f- he feeds 5,000 people and then says, I am the bread of life, you see. So there was a kind of a, some of the miracles of Jesus are enacted parables to show people what, what Jesus is like. So there's a sense in which even promises of greater works than these shall you do and all this, there's a real sense in which that the ministry of Jesus will always be unique. So I love the idea of thinking about the, the early disciples in all their frailties, in all their problems, in all their disputes, the fact that they could lay hold of the power of the Holy Spirit means that you and I can as well. And so that's some of the the idea with that. What I want to do is talk through, and these things I thought about over many, many years, and so some of this will come out thick and fast because this is this isn't the reflection of an of you know of an afternoon with you know pen and paper. These are reflections of of really five or six years I want to share with you tonight. And uh, just thinking about the principles that Paul in his life uh was able to develop about, about healing the sick. And I believe that all of these principles, all of them, 
can be applied to all of us, uh, particularly if we're going to do the same kind of work that Paul did. Um, so just as an opening reading, Acts 14, and just a really uh, amazing chapter of the Word of God. Um, I want to just pick up this, just little bits of this story. Uh, if we had time, we'd read the whole chapter through. But it, it's set in southern Galatia. So uh, the book of Galatians is written to a series of towns, Lystra, Antioch, Iconium, and Derby or Derby. And uh, there is a northern Galatia as well, but it's less likely that the book of Galatians is written to those. It may have been. But, but, the, but the safer money is on the southern Galatian area, Lystra, Antioch, Iconium, and Derby. And so here is Paul in Iconium. Then he goes to Lystra and Derby. So this is, this is the area where the book of Galatians is written to. And it's an amazing set of occurrences of Paul just going from town to town preaching, preaching Jesus Christ. And um, so at first he goes to Iconium. And just because of time, just because of time, I just want to skim it and just let you see um, some of the verses. Verse 1, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. Verse 3, they spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them uh, to do miraculous signs and wonders. Uh, they have to flee out of there. And then verse 8, in Lystra there sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet. And at that, um, the man jumped up and began to walk. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian or the Lysonian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And they sacrifice to them. And the, again, just cutting it short, the apostles say, don't worship us. You know, we're not anything special. And then, verse 19, then Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. And they stoned Paul and dragged him outside of the city, leaving him um, for dead. Uh, but after, verse, verse 20, after the disciples gathered round him, he got up and went back into the city. I want you to see two amazing things there. First of all, could he have been raised from the dead? Who knows? But it certainly seems that he had a miraculous recovery. But the best bit is, he went back into the city. Yeah, oh yeah, where are you going? I'm just going back to the place where they killed me. What are you going to do? Are you going to go back tomorrow? No, I'm going to go back right now. You know, He was a crazy guy for Jesus Christ. So I, just in this, just in that little chapter alone, there in southern Galatia, there are these amazing signs and wonders. And I just, I just begin by reflecting how important it was to Paul that his message should be seen 
as well as heard. And sometimes when we talk about the miraculous in evangelism, what we're actually talking about is our message being witnessed as well as heard with the ears. You can see it with your eyes. On Sunday night, we traveled over to Debden, a a little road trip of us, and one young man was absolutely dazed at the end of the service by seemingly being cured of a problem in his heart, and he just walked around bit dazed, went out, you know, to get some fresh air, shocked by seemingly being cured. You know, a doctor will confirm or not if that has occurred. But the, but in a, the point is that that night, the gospel was seen as well as heard. And that's part of what Paul, Paul believed in. He believed that the, that the gospel should be demonstrated as well as just preached. Now, it doesn't mean he didn't preach. He did preach. He thoroughly believed in preaching. He spent hours preaching. One man died, you know, because Paul was so long preaching. Remember that story. So it's not that he didn't believe in preaching. But he, but he also believed in the demonstration of the power um, of the Holy Spirit. We saw when we were doing our sermonizing a few weeks ago in First Thessalonians, you know, our gospel came to you, not just with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, with deep conviction. So he, he believed in the demonstration of God's power. And therefore, so should we. So should we. We should believe that not only should we be preaching, but we should be demonstrating the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. And I think there is a, there is a difficulty that comes in our minds, which is, well, surely God has to do that. We can't do that. And you're absolutely right, except that if we don't pray for any sick people, we will never see any sick people cured. So someone says, well, I've never seen a miracle. You know, I never saw that. Well, my question, how many people have you prayed for then? Uh, uh, and, and, and if you say, well, none, I've never done it, then really, you know, what can you expect then to, to, be, to be the case? Paul believed in in the miraculous power of the Spirit. It's Paul who penned the, the, the phrase, the gifts of healings in 1 Corinthians 12. He's the one who, who, who penned that expression by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So Paul believed that, there were, that within the gifts of the Spirit, there was, there was a dimension of where some people could be especially gifted. It's really interesting, and we don't have time to, to unpack it at all, but he but it's, it's in the plural, the gifts of healings. It's very interesting because anecdotally, maybe not biblically, but anecdotally, it seems to be that people who are used in healing tend to have a, uh, I don't want to use the word specialism, but it might have to do for tonight, uh, uh, where certain things, uh, certain problems are cured through, through their ministry. They have a, like a particular you know, specialism with cancer or with blindness or with arthritis or, you know, and, and maybe, the, 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 as well as an anecdote, maybe that's somehow tied into this phrase in 1 Corinthians 12, gifts of healings, different abilities. I know that I, when I pray for the sick, I know of a certain sort of category where I'm most likely to see tremendous results. And so when I'm on a mission, I will pray for those people first. To demonstrate the power of God. When I'm in Brazil, I'll come to the platform. The first thing I'll do is I'll say, before I'm going to preach, 
let us see a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'll call about 15 people to the front or in their seats, pray for them. And 50% of them, most times, if not more, will be cured within a few seconds. Everyone's amazed. Everyone claps. And then I preach. Because the, the idea is to capture people's attention. We're not just preaching the gospel. We're showing the gospel. One of the things that's always amazed me is when you have healing meetings and you end up praying for the sick about 10 to 11 at night when most people have gone home. You know, everyone's just tired. And, uh, but uh, but uh, so you, I, I remember when we had a little revival here in 2005, I remember one guy, Marvin was his name, he came, he couldn't speak. And uh, we prayed for him, Phil and I, I remember, and the Lord just gave him back his voice immediately. And it, in fact, it was so shocking that I even thought, he's faking it. He's faking this. Because I said, what's wrong with you? And he couldn't tell me because he couldn't speak. So Edward Genger, who some of you may know, had to explain his name is Marvin. He's not able to speak. No, 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 no. I said, okay. So we prayed for him. I said, now, how do you feel now? And suddenly he said to me, I'm fine now. It's so shocking. So I said, are you making this up, you know? <laughs> And so I was very excited, so I spun him around, put the mic in front of him, and said, tell everyone what the Lord has done for you. And as I did that, I realized it was 10 to 3, and there was no one in the room. It was just me, Phil, Marvin, and Eddie, <laughs> and the Holy Spirit. Everyone else was at home watching the EastEnders omnibus. You know, we were there just chatting away. Oh, it's been a miracle here. <laughs> anyway, the, the point is, that these are signs and wonders, and signs are for people who don't know the way. And so the, the idea is to demonstrate the kingdom so people who don't believe may have the opportunity maybe to believe because of what they are seeing with their eyes. Now, uh, let's be absolutely clear. Just because there are miracles doesn't mean that people will believe. It doesn't mean they'll even get saved. One of the, my favorite um, photographs that I've used on a website for many, many years is of me standing with uh, a wonderful African girl who uh, came into the church. The press were in at the time, the Cambridge Evening News, and they were in to photograph miracles and to see what was going on here. This is November 2005. And in this picture, this girl gets cured. She's amazed. She can't believe it. I'm standing there, sort of, you know, my mic like this. She's looking amazed. She's uh, her eyes are just, uh, you know, coming out of her head. And they photographed it and put it in the paper. And when I look at that, I think of a wonderful season of God in the church. But I also think this, that girl never came back. <laughs> she never came back. She came, she got a miracle, and she went off. <laughs> and this is actually quite a common thing. It's quite a common thing. So, so signs are to give people opportunity to respond to the gospel, but it's not a foregone conclusion at all. Jesus actually says in Matthew 23, he says, Woe to you, certain towns, because if the miracles that were done there were done there, they would have repented, right? So he's inferring that there were great miracles that occurred in certain places, but the people didn't come to God. And, and so while, mirac while miraculous things are signs, Actually, there is only really one reason to pray for the sick. And that's because those people are ill. That's really the only reason to do it. Because it, it's not going to do, 
you know, that's his primary purpose. It has another function. It glorifies God. It might convict and convince people of the reality of God. But essentially, the reason we do it, the reason we pray for the sick, the reason we ask God to use us in this way, is because people are ill and being ill isn't good. It's not fun. And God has put on his business card that he's a healer. So that's the only reason. So we do not seek the ability to cure the sick because we want to be powerful. We don't seek it because we want to have exciting. Wouldn't this meeting be so much better if there was a miracle in the middle of it? The reason we do it primarily is because God loves people. And when people are ill, life's hard. And so we want to pray for them in the hope that God might touch them. It's really as simple as that. Sickness changes people. It, it, is, it affects people. It changes their lives. Uh, what happens in the book of Job? Job's house is destroyed. His family are destroyed. And Satan says, yeah, yeah, but we haven't, we haven't started yet, have we? Let me touch his body and then let's see what happens to him, you see. And, there, and I think there's a truth in that, that I could be all happy, but if I become ill, then I maybe my character is challenged. I'm not so much fun to live with. You know, all those sorts of things. I can't work, so I lose my economic, you know, um, um, abilities. It's very interesting in the Bible that God, when he raises people from the dead, it is largely for economic reasons. You say, what do, what do you mean? <laughs> what, what, so they can get the um, insurance claim? No, no. He raises widow's sons from the dead. Why would he raise a widow's son from the dead? Because the lady's a widow and needs her son. You see, That's, uh, you, you see all the way through the scripture in, in the ministry of Elisha, the ministry of Jesus. We don't know how old Lazarus was. Uh, so maybe that's an exception to rule. But by and large, a little girl, right? Young, young people, Jairus' daughter. It's, it's, it's younger people. And, but so much of it is for economic considerations. If you were in Israel 2,000 years ago and you were ill, you couldn't work, so you can't feed your family, so you need to be healed, you see. There, there's a huge social dimension to it. Anyway, I'm sort of getting off the topic, aren't I? What I want to do is I want to look at, now I've got whew, 10 principles, so I might get through a few of these, but I won't pretend that I'm going to be able to get through them, and, uh, but I'm going to go through for a little bit. Ten principles in the, uh, in the life of Paul, in the ministry of Paul, that I think are, have been helpful to me and will be helpful to you. So let us begin. The first one is faith. In Acts 14 and verse 9, this man at Lystra, who is not well, it says here, Paul looked at him. And saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. So the first, uh, and th in, no, in no particular order at all. I don't mean first as in first and, firm, first and foremost, but just first. For the point of a list, faith. To see the miraculous power of God requires faith. It, it always requires faith. That doesn't mean that everyone who has faith is healed. 
It also, by the way, in my experience anyway, doesn't mean that everyone who uh, doesn't have faith doesn't get healed. It's very, very interesting. I remember one time I was in one of the Brazilian cities and I was on the platform and a, and a lady came up, she had a problem in her legs and the pastor was there. I thought he was there to help me with the microphone but he suddenly whipped out a camera from his pocket and started filming. Very odd thing to do. And I turned to this lady and her legs weren't very good and I just said, be, be healed in the, in the name of Jesus. And her legs were healed immediately, just right there in front of us. Um, captured on a little camcorder and the lady was so shocked to be healed that she almost fainted and it was not being slain in the Holy Spirit. She was shocked. A little bit like the guy the other night, in fact, uh, over at Saffron Walnut. Just shocked. Had to go out for air. You know. And this does, and this happens all the time. In fact, one of the things, I often say this to Jane, I'll say, do you know, I think that man really was healed and I think, I think he was healed because I saw in his eyes how utterly shocked he was. It just looked like, this can't possibly be happening. You know, how come? Uh, hang, hang on. Hang on. I'm sure I had pain. And they just, it's like suddenly every doubt kicks it. This can't be true. Hang on. They're trying to hurt themselves again, get the injury back. You know, what, what's this? And there's an element of shock that often hits people who are, who are healed. They're just finding it hard to believe. Well, this is rather odd, isn't it? Because we all claim that we all believe. The truth is that for many of us, we all believe God is a healer, but it's actually quite, it's, a, it's another thing to believe that God is going to heal me and he's going to heal me now and here tonight and I'm going to still be okay tomorrow. You know, that's another dimension of faith, isn't it? Sometimes people ask, well, who needs to have the faith? Does the person praying for the sick need to have the faith? Does the person who is sick need to have the faith? And my answer is simple. It would be good if at least one of them had a little bit of faith. <laughs> Sometimes if you're sick, you don't have a lot of faith because you're ill. Yes? Can you say amen? You're ill, right? So if you're lying there, you know, you've just been ill in a bed and someone walks in and says, so have you got faith? No, no, I haven't got faith. I've got pain, as it happens. So the person coming to pray for you is supposed to be the one with a bit of faith. Um, nevertheless, while we, while we mustn't overemphasize this, because God does extraordinary things, heals people. I remember being in a meeting in um, Paynton, and a girl came in, sat on the back row. She was 16 years old, and they were going. she had pain and some trouble in one of her breasts, and they were going to have to take the breast off. Uh, there's probably a much better um, gynecological expression for this, but they were going to have to take one of their breasts. Which, when you're 60, well, when you're 60, it's not good, but when you're 16, that's not very good. And she sat on the back, and God healed her in her chair. She didn't come to the front. She just got healed right on the back row and came up and testified to it. Went away. She wasn't a Christian. Went to the doctor. He confirmed, there's no problem anymore. I don't know what's happened. She came back to the church and became a Christian two weeks later. Hallelujah. In that same meeting, I have no doubt there were some Pentecostal stalwarts, people who've read Kenneth Hagin's book ten times, confessed scriptures, you know, etc., etc. 
who actually left there still ill. And I don't understand it. I don't understand it, but I know that it happens all the time. So I've come to accept it, but that doesn't mean I, I understand it. What I do understand is that God behaves in an unusual way. And this is seen in Mark chapter 5 where Jesus is on his way to a girl who is dying, Jairus' daughter. And on the way to cure Jairus' daughter, a woman with the issue of blood stops him and gets a miracle first. Yes? Now, having an issue of blood is no fun. But clearly, it's not quite as bad as dying because the girl did die. So if you like, the more urgent case got healed first. You follow that? In the, in the journey of Jesus. And I find this is true today. Uh, some amazing things happen, but someone else will be in the room who has a, maybe a terminal condition or a much more difficult. And it's like, well, why didn't God touch that? You know, it's, it's a, and uh, I just think we have to learn to accept these mysteries and put our faith in his love. We heal in part. We know in part. We prophesy in part. Perfection has not yet come. But nevertheless, someone's come. But nevertheless, um, through, this, through this process, there are many, many mysteries that will, you know, occur in this. So faith. Faith. I found that um, certain churches are great soil for the miraculous. And forgive me, but I'm just going to... These are supposed to be helpful evenings, so I must not hold back from saying that other churches are not. By that I mean the the culture within the church, the kind of the DNA of that church is either good soil for the miraculous or it isn't. That's my anecdotal experience. And And that is not based upon God liking this church and not liking that one. It's based upon what is being preached there and believed there week in, week out. That allows an incredible move. I remember in one of the, I think it was my second meeting ever in South America. There were more miracles, just astonishing load of miracles. And I sat down at the end in this little place on a white plastic chair that I felt sure was going to break at any second. I'm holding on to the table, thinking, any, any minute now. And then I think, is the table going to go and all? And I said to the pastor at the end, I said, you've done this. Because he was looking at me like I was Zeus. Right? Wow. There was a lady with cancer in her stomach. Big load of, just big growth thing here. And it just fell out of her. Hallelujah. Come on. It's just, I didn't touch it, it just happened in the service. And I sat at the end, and I, but I said to him, he's looking at me like I'm the next Benny Hinn. No, I said, I said, you've done this. You have preached here week in, week out that God is good and God heals, etc. And you have established a culture, a DNA, an atmosphere, whatever you want to call it, in this church that says that Jesus can do anything here. Right? There are certain churches where that is the case, certain places where that's the case, certain places where it's less so. And so when we're talking about faith, sometimes we're not even talking about the personal faith of people, but the corporate faith of, of a church or, or, or a place. 
I think that's so true in um, the Bible, you see. Jesus couldn't do any miracles in Nazareth. But he could do amazing miracles in Capernaum. And as I've said preaching a few years ago, I went to Israel one time and they're only one little coach journey apart. So what, what was the difference between Nazareth and, and uh, Capernaum? They're almost, you know, uh, they're on the same bus route. They're not, they're not in different countries. But the, but the difference was the mentality of the people in Capernaum versus the mentality of the people in Nazareth that allowed in one place there to be a great revival. That's where the man comes down through the roof. That's, that's um, Capernaum. It's in Capernaum where the centurion comes and says, my servant's ill and there's, you know, a miracle um, occurs there. I mean, astonishing stuff. But yet, within the whole frame of that, just a short bus ride away is Nazareth where nothing happens. So this is the point I'm trying to make. There is such a thing as the DNA of a church. That's why it totally breaks my heart when someone opts to go for, to, to some church where you know, they like a certain thing. They perhaps are missing the essential DNA that maybe is more useful in their, in their life. So in these places, I would say, Pastor, it's you that's done this. You've, you've you know, preached this. So that's one thing I think is useful to faith. Another thing I think is useful to faith is actually, you understand that in a, in a, if you come and pray for the sick, and that's what we're talking about tonight, us being involved in praying for the sick, you, you have to understand, so just without getting into psychology, but for the, the first few seconds of you praying for someone, you, you do understand, don't you, that probably they've been prayed for before. Probably they're not expecting to be healed. They're just expecting you to pray for them to be healed. Do you understand? That's, which is quite different. They're not expecting to recover. They're just expecting you to pray for them, but they're not necessarily expecting to recover. And certainly not, you know, right here, right now. And so what I found is that one of the ways to help people is, and as we get involved in praying for the sick, here's a little phrase which you may find helpful or not. I find it good to pray little and test much. Pray little and test much. When Jesus prayed for people in the Gospels, he didn't go up to them and go, Father, I thank you for John, and I thank you that he's been a deacon here for 10 years, and I thank you, Lord, for his son and how good he is in the worship. He didn't pray big prayer. He just spoke a word of um, command, yes? And sometimes the longer you, you pray over someone, the more you're revealing that you don't really think anything's going to happen, so you better pray for their niece. And make them feel happy. You know, the secret is, be bold, be strong. The Lord thy God is with you. And you put your hand upon them and you pray, Lord, release them from this problem. And then, don't pray anything else. Then say to them, okay, let's see how you are. Nine times out of ten, the person has not been cured. But then when you pray for them again, now we're beginning to build faith in that, in that person. That they didn't have... Now you pray to the Lord, thank you. Been, Lord, I just want to thank you that they were so faithful in 1972. And, uh, and, the, and all you're doing is you, you, you are not ministering in the Spirit. You're praying for them. Now you, you can pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them at home. Pray for them in the car. But you're going to minister to them. You are giving a word of command. May this sickness now come out of your body. 
Now, lots of people, of course, cannot know if they are healed or not. I got a beautiful letter not so long ago from someone from Downham Market to say that I'd prayed with their child who had epileptic fits, and now it was several months later, and they had not had an epileptic fit since. Hallelujah. It's wonderful, isn't it? Jesus is good. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. But there, there's no way to have known that night. Right? So lots of things you, 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 you can't test out. How's your blood pressure feeling? Well, it feels all right. You, know, you, know, you, know, you, you just can't know. There's lots of things you can't know. But you can know if you can walk again. You can know if you can see again. You can know if you can hear again. You can know if you can breathe better. You can know if you can walk better, you know. And so, uh, uh, as a friend and as, 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 as a colleague in the gospel, this is my encouragement. If you're going to pray for the sick, pray little, test much. Now, you understand what that phrase means. Pray little, test much. Naaman had to dip in the Jordan seven times to be cured of leprosy. So the idea that if you pray twice, somehow you're not, you, know, you haven't got faith. That is not a biblical principle. Luke 18 verse 1, Jesus said, we should always pray and not give up. And he told a story about someone asking again and again and again and again. And lots of times when we pray for the sick, they will not. Now, just, just every now and then, of course, it's amazing. And it does. But many people, I, I just I want to encourage you. There would be many, many, many more miracles if we prayed a lot more than we do. And I don't mean pray downstairs that God will move tonight. I mean pray for people, see how they are. If they're not any better, pray for them again. If they're not any better, pray for them again. If they're not any better, pray for them again, you see. And what's actually happening? It's not that God's deaf. But actually what you are doing is you are, and forgive me putting it in this way, but I think you'll know what I mean. You are beginning to convey to the person you're praying for, that you expect them to recover. And all of a sudden, something begins to change. Oh, wow, I thought I'd come for prayer. I'm actually, maybe I've come for healing. Maybe I'm going to be healed here. And it's a completely different mindset. Bear in mind that many of the people we pray for for healing have been prayed for many times before. They, they weren't healed. It's a big thing for people to come to the front of a church. It's a massive thing. It's not a small thing. And everyone who comes to the front of the church needs to be cared for. I've seen the most, you know, very unhelpful things. Some person walks to the front. They're absolutely terrified. They're pretending they're not, but they're standing here at the front. The speakers are loud. They're feeling like they're being blasted by, you know, the music and that. And, it, and they think everyone's looking at them. And the truth is only 80% are. And... Then someone comes up to them, puts hand, and I tell you, I'd be straight in the car park and out. Someone comes up, I tell you, you'd be straight down there. Come out, you devil! You know, oh, thank you. I thought I'd go. You know what? What's this? No, these people are are yielding themselves to God. If you're going to pray for them, you've got the highest responsibility to make sure that you behave in the way that God would behave. And God is their father. He's not their social worker or their headmaster shouting at them. He looks after them, yes? 
So come into the front. One person, one person grabs you one side. The other person grabs the other side. One person shouting, let go, let go. The other person going, hold on, hold on. All right, that's an old one, but it's good. This is completely unhelpful. People who are ill are ill. We should be looking after them. If you were a nurse and you went to care for the sick in someone's home, you would be fired, wouldn't you? And you should be. So we've got to, you know, we, we want to look after people. It's scary to come to the front of a church. It's scary to come. Am I telling the truth? Yeah, it's scary to come to the front of the church. And you imagine you've been prayed for 60 times before, nothing happened. It's actually quite a big thing to come out again and think, you know, is God really going to do it now? And you're fighting all that disappointment as well, you see? So we have to, so I believe in the laying on. Now, sometimes in big meetings in Brazil, I can't lay hands upon people. Sometimes I was given this huge pop star platform in a, you know, like a village and everyone came out and they all stood in the village and I had the best, it's the best microphone I've ever had in my life. Wow. So I sounded amazing. I thought I'm preaching to the whole town here, you know. I tell you, if I died that night, it would have been fine. I'd, uh, that, you know, that would have been it. I'd have been happy. I would have been happy. It's an amazing night. And I stood there. In the name of Jesus, sickness, come out. I couldn't pray for it. I couldn't go down and pray for people again and again and again. And all throughout that, 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 that square, miracles, you know, happened. And people were coming to the front. I've just been cured of this. One man came running out. I was going to commit suicide. But I'm here to meet with Jesus. It was just amazing, you know. So there are times where you can't spend time with people. But, you know, if, if you're going to pray for someone, don't you think it's a good idea to first of all say, hello, my name is John. It's, you know, if you are called John. Hello, my name is Peter. You know, what's, what's, what's your name? You know, you know, don't you think that's how it should be done? Don't you think we're supposed to care for the people? <laughs> See? Rather than a sort of a conveyor belt mentality. Zap. 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 Now, in times of great revival, you know, that truly, of course, can happen. And people can be zapped. One pastor phoned me up and said, I want you to come to my church and I want you to zap them. That's what he actually said. I want you to zap them. And I said to him, I said, well, I'm going to talk to them as well, you know. And in fact, people stopped. Uh, no, I was going to say people stopped asking me to go for this reason. I'm sh- actually, it's probably not. But one of the things is, one of the problems we've got in church is that we haven't really got time for a lot of this. Uh, and, and we have to find, and I, I, in my time as the pastor, I've not really found the answer. So I'm, in a sense, I'm criticizing myself, not others. There has to be another way to minister to the sick that doesn't involve it happening in the last three minutes. And we've got to get all these people healed because it's the final verse coming up. You know, and we, and we, and we, and we, and we have to get out of here. Maybe that's why in 2005 we saw so many miracles because we were there till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And it takes time. I think you should be kind to people. Talk to the people. See how they are. Love them. If they're not healed, then maybe we ought to give them a call in the week and just see how they're doing. Not necessarily to catch the scoop of their miracle, but just to continue to encourage them. In the story of the sheep and the goats... Jesus said, when I was in prison, you visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. But he says this, when I was ill, you looked after me. 
So there's a genuine ministry of looking after ill people as well as curing ill people. That's a genuine Jesus ministry to look after people as, as well as seeing amazing, you know, miraculous things as well. So faith, faith is important. Faith is in the atmosphere of a church. Faith, is, faith comes out of the pulpit. Faith comes out of the life of a church. Uh, sometimes people go to a conference and get cured because the atmosphere of the conference is a faith atmosphere. Um, it, it, it's, not, it's, not like, it's not like there's a conference God and a local church God. And the local church God is a bit low on his old, you know, um, miraculous powers. But the conference God is fully zapped up. It's just the atmosphere is more conducive to faith in such a place. So I think that touching people, praying with them, speaking with them, is actually all part of the healing process. All part of showing the love of God. There's nothing worse than being ill, being pushed to the front of a church in a wheelchair, having someone try and zap you and then just being pushed out. That doesn't feel like the ministry of Jesus to me at all. And so I don't like that kind of thing. Number two, we're not going far away. Number two principles of Paul is Paul saw miracles in the whole area of evangelism and mission. The whole of this um, chapter is in a missional context. By the, I mean evangelism, not in church. Clearly, Paul believed that people could be healed in church because he speaks in 1 Corinthians 12 about the gifts of healings. Clearly, Paul believed that gifts of the Spirit could operate in church because he even encourages people to prophesy in church to unsaved people who will fall down and say, God is among you, you know. So clearly he believed in that. And in James chapter 5, the people called for the elders to pray for them. The, the context is a Christian asking another Christian, come and pray for me. But Paul's uh, ministry in healing seems to have been primarily outside of church you know, gatherings. And I don't really need to say much about this because I think we'd all agree that that is probably the place where we should expect to see this happen more and more. Uh, that's the place where God is, in a sense, uh, I, won't, I don't want to say obligated, because God is never obligated, but God has kind of promised that in missional situations, when Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, these signs will accompany those who believe in my name, they will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. He's not talking about at the prayer meeting, he's talking about on mission. So there's a, there's a and, and again, God can, of course, heal people in church. But there's a very real sense in which even the promise, they shall lay hands on the sick and they will recover, that is in the context of people going out on mission. That's why we do not pick up snakes in the service and go, look at this. Do, 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 do. Uh, bring forth the deadly poison and Phil will drink it before your eyes, you know. <laughs> Happy birthday. No, there's a, a sense in which these are missional things. If you are bitten by a snake on mission, you will not be harmed. If you drink deadly po and by the way, some of the water I've drank on mission. I remember one time I went to drink and the, uh, and the interpreter looked at me and said, don't drink that. <laughs> well, why have I been given it then? <laughs> What's going on here? But in the context of mission, I, uh, a few years ago, Mirek, who some of you know, invited us to Poland to speak in his church. And uh, so we went there, and we spoke in the church, an old synagogue, 
place that had been converted into a Christian church. But we saw more people, no, I tell a lie, we saw just as many people healed outside the church as in it. So we saw lots of people healed in the church, and some of it's on YouTube if you want to look for it. A little girl who couldn't see her vision returns, and that, that was one of those that have to be captured on, uh, on a little camcorder that I had. Jane's camera work, you can see that on YouTube. But actually there were more things occurred outside, or just as many, outside the church meetings as in. And I've got a feeling that's how God wants it to be. And, uh, and that's why you definitely can't go to your mate at work, can I pray for you? Yes, all right. They think, well, what? You know, no, thank you. I thought I might go Cherry Hinton Baptist after this encounter with you. Yeah, I think I might, you know, do something else. Uh, we're supposed to, uh, we're not supposed to have people think we're crazy. By the way, can I just throw this in? Sometimes, even if people aren't healed, the very fact that you offer to pray for them is so moving to people that you should, you should give it a go. It, it all ties into another reason why we pray for people, which is, which is obedience. Jesus said, go preach the gospel, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. You know, so uh, but if you want to raise the dead and cleanse the lepers, do. But there's also heal the sick. It doesn't say pray for the sick. He says heal the sick. So it's actually an act of obedience. It's, it's a matter of obedience as well as faith to pray for people who aren't well. It's actually a matter of obedience. It's not really about whether they get cured or not. It's about am I going to obey God or not. You know? So that's, that's another dimension um, of this. And all throughout uh, Paul's ministry, and you can read it, uh, all these verses in the book, where he goes to Malta, he goes to Philippi, there's all these exciting adventures, you know, healing the sick outside of the church. And I uh, could say a lot more about that, but for the sake of time we won't. Number three is uh, issues of adoration and opposition. I'll take a minute on this. Really, really interesting. Just in Acts 14 alone, two things happen to Paul after he does these miracles or after the Lord does these miracles through him. Two completely different things. One is he's worshipped. They think he's Zeus and Hermes, right? Him and Barnabas. And the second is there's a riot and he's killed. Now they're rather different, aren't they? Worshipped and despised. In one context, they thought a lot of him. And in another context, in the same context, they hated him and they wanted to kill him. That's really interesting. And um, uh, uh, this isn't something really to unpack, but just to say that just because God works miracles in a church doesn't mean that church will be popular. Doesn't mean it will be popular. I remember one time, 2006 this would have been, we were seeing some great things happen and a guy came from Cambridge University to interview me. I thought, here we go. This is it, Paxman. And he showed up, he said, oh, I'm really interested in what's happening here. Took lots of notes, told him all that God had been doing. I thought, this is great. He took a picture of me, you know, behind the pulpit. You know. And then what he did, the monkey, was he cut my head out of the picture, stuck it on a statue of St. Peter. <laughs> and there was my head stuck on a statue of St. Peter. And he wrote this terrible article about, you know, the dark side 
uh, of uh, Tennyson Road or something like that. And he absolutely, uh, in his report, he, 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 he slated it. Because, of course, he fundamentally didn't believe it before he arrived. So when I told him all the things that were happening, then, of course, I was a deceiver, a liar. People were going to be ill, you know, etc. We were telling people to come off medicines, which we have never done, ever. We love medicine. I take medicine. Let's all take a tablet now, you know. So there's no problems with, no problems with medicine. Medicine is good. Can you say amen? Amen. Keep taking the tablets. This is, this is what he wrote. So I was horrified. I said to David Wong, who was leading worship at the time, I said, oh, it's terrible. And they put this in the Cambridge University newspaper, to which he replied, much to my comfort, don't worry, no one reads it. So I thought, hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord, no one reads it. But just because God is working powerfully doesn't mean it's going to make you popular. It might even cause you to be um, despised. So I just throw that in. Occasionally, of course, there is too much adoration. I remember Phil and I were in, this was Saffron Walden, and we saw some wonderful miracles. And, and at the end, the youth all gathered around us. And I, both of us felt really uncomfortable, like we were being a bit too adored. So I said to him, let's go now. And so we got in the car and drove away, away from any sense that we were special or anything like that. We, were just, we just drove home amazed at what had happened. We were more amazed than them. They thought it would happen. We didn't think it would happen. So we were more amazed than them. And I turned to Phil and I said, we're just a couple of geezers. And that phrase, to this day, if you Google it, miracle geezers, you'll find it links to the article. Uh, and when the, when the press came here, I remember saying, we're just a couple of, I remember saying, we're just a couple of geezers. And of course, that was the headline. Miracle geezers in Cambridge. I gave it to him on a plate, didn't I? So sometimes uh, there can be a bit too much made of it. What's important is, are people living right? Are people repenting of sin? Are people clean? Are people in love with God? It's not about miracles, is it? Number four, very, very quickly, is Paul had no interest in making the demonic an emphasis of his ministry. Very, very interesting. And perhaps this carries on a bit from what I was saying on Sunday too. Uh, we are not looking to showcase the, the um, demonic. Um, the demons are idiots. They were defeated thousands of years ago. They don't deserve any place or any voice. I've seen the most horrific things where preachers are casting out demons and they give the microphone to the demon. How are you feeling now? And the, you know, the demon speaks. As though we're supposed to be giving microphones to de or making a big scene of um, demonic possession. Whenever there's issues of demonic possession, we do not deal with it on Sunday. There's always a separate appointment made in the week in a room away from everyone because the person also who's afflicted by a devil also deserves dignity and love and support. So big scenes, I don't think, are part of what it should be about. In Luke chapter 9, when the boy who has a demon is with Jesus, Jesus sees that a crowd is coming, so he quickly casts out the demon before the crowd get there. There is no, there is no room for a show of that. And uh, if you think differently, I think you're wrong. Um, 
there's no room for a show. People deserve dignity. People deserve care. If we are not interested in people and their, and their dignity and their well-being, then really we shouldn't be involved in, in, the, in the healing ministry because it's all part of caring for people. What's really interesting is in, on foreign trips, and it's just a little anecdote, but it's quite an exciting one. Um, sometimes I've been praying for someone, particularly if it's in another country. And very occasionally, I prayed for hundreds and hundreds of people in another. So this is just two or three occasions, not even making maybe one or two percent of the cases. But where I feel that maybe there is an evil spirit that is behind this illness. Now, this would be very rare. Uh, it would be anecdotal. I couldn't be sure of it. It's based upon a bit of a feeling, a bit of a revelation that could or could not be correct, etc., etc. And sometimes, what I've, and I've done this maybe three times, and it, it, it thrills me. I hope it will thrill you. I say to the interpreter, <coughs> do not interpret what I'm going to say now. So the person looks at me, they've been interpreting all night, they look at me a bit odd. And then in English, uh, and of course the person doesn't know, the person I'm praying with doesn't know English. Uh, Suddenly my tone of change, I say, come out of them. Go in the name of Jesus. Come out, you devil. And amazingly, on three occasions, the person was cured straight away without knowing what I'd said, you understand? (laughs) But the demon has done a bit of English night class and knows a bit of English. They do. They are are bilingual, it seems. And uh, so that's amazing, isn't it? But to make a scene, so that's the only place where I might have made a scene, but it was a scene in a foreign language, so no one one understood it, see. No No one understood it. One time I was in a big crowd where a demon threw a woman up in the air. I mean, just, and whoa. I mean, you, you think you've seen the last night of the proms? This, this woman flew and right up in the air. And all the people are trying to catch her. You think you've got trouble catching people? What about if they go in the air? What are you going to do then? And, uh, but, it's, but, but Paul, in Acts 16, a girl follows him, you see. And start, you are the servants of God in Acts 16. And he doesn't, he doesn't deal with it. And it's not that he didn't know that she was demon-possessed, by the way. He wasn't waiting for a gift of God to tell him. Everyone knew she was demon-possessed. But he doesn't deal with it because when he does deal with it, he ends up in prison. So Paul was quite sharp, you see. He, was sharp. he knew what he was doing. And only when he got finally you know, exasperated with it, so he had to deal with it, but he ends up in jail. So it wasn't a good idea. And maybe he should have left it well alone. So it wasn't that God told him, Oh, now I can deal with it. I've got, I've got permission now from God. He didn't want to deal with it. But the girl created such negative publicity for his mission that he felt that he had to, I think. So Paul wasn't looking to be an exorcist. And neither are we. Neither are we. I think that cases of demonic issues are extremely rare. And a lot of it is just charismatic games. Um... Number five is that he, Paul did extraordinary miracles. Why don't we look at this in Acts 19? I would think that all miracles are extraordinary, wouldn't you? It's funny that here in Acts 19, we learn that um, even though Paul didn't think of himself as an exorcist or try to 
cast out demons all the time. Uh, in fact, the demons did know him. Uh, if you look in verse uh, in chapter 19 and uh, verse 15, uh, the demon says, I know about Jesus, uh, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul. So it's, it's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> that even though he wasn't involved in it, they, they certainly knew about him. But in Acts 19, God did extraordinary miracles, verse 11, through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. <laughs> so, um, by the way, just, just for fun, I'll just throw out, I don't think Paul took handkerchiefs and prayed over them. I think it means that these things were taken from him and taken to the sick. I don't think he said, okay, now, Cheryl, play some music. I'll just pray over these cloths. You know, I don't think, I don't think that's what happened at all. I, by the way, and the handkerchief isn't, you know, <laughs> there, give that to someone with a cold. No way, mate. I'd rather have a clean one. It's, it's a sweat cloth. It's not a handkerchief for your nose. It, they, they would have sweat cloths. They would tie around themselves, even around their head. And so what I think happened was he uh, discarded these and people took them and used them for the, for the healing of the sick, you know, things like that. Um, and, of course, the power of God can travel through uh, cloth. I remember one time, oh, here's another story. But I remember one time being uh, coming back from London, and apologies if you've heard this a thousand times, but it's a good one. And uh, uh, if you've ever come back from King's Cross, you might know the last train's at midnight. And you better get on it. Otherwise, it's a long walk home. And so we're at King's Cross. And uh, uh, a girl who was demon-possessed, we were dealing with her in, I don't know, 2002 would have been. And she regularly drank at King's Cross Station. And a friend and I, we were traveling through King's Cross to get that midnight train. And, uh, and she was there, so she decided, oh, I'm going to come back with you. So we're on the train. We arrive back, Cambridge. At what time would it be? Quarter past one. Is that when that train gets in? Anyway, something like that. And uh, I said to Wes, who was with me, I said, look, you're going to get a taxi. Can you take her in your taxi, drop her off, and then we'll, then we'll go on from there. So we're stood in the, I don't know if you've ever arrived at quarter past one, uh, at the taxi rank, but there's a whole line of people all come from London. I think it was a Friday night, so it was a popular night to be in London and a popular night to come home. And it was Jan, uh, no, it was, uh, um, um, a December date, cold, and I was wearing a scarf. And the girl who had been helping, who had these demonic problems, uh, was a bit cheeky. And so while we stood, 20 past one, waiting in line for the taxi, the girl pulls my scarf from my neck and puts it on herself. Cheeky. But I thought, oh, well, I'll let that happen. Fair enough. But praise God, amazingly, as soon as the cloth came from my neck and went on her neck, you know, we had a full manifestation. People looking down the line. I think she's had a bit too much. Uh, <laughs> just pulling the scarf off. Yeah, you know, she's all right. You know, yeah. hallelujah. Good night. Taxi, three of us, including her. Though there could be about a thousand in her. Now, that one, there was no music playing. You understand? 
There was no receive. You know, there was no drama. That was just power in the streets of Cambridge. Power late at night because there was uh, the anointing of God was on us. And somehow, you know, the anointing of God came off that cloth and onto her. And rather than go, hallelujah, this is, all we wanted was to get it back. We didn't want a scene in the street. You understand that? So there's a reluctance with it. We're not looking for this to, this kind of thing to occur. If we are, then we are more fascinated in darkness than we are in light. And I think we have a, we have a character problem going on there as well as anything else. So there were extraordinary miracles. Uh, Acts 28, just have a look at this. Just go to Acts 28 verse 9. It says of the extraordinary miracles of Paul. This is Paul washed up on Malta. And it seems to have been part of God's purpose. And they have this big shipwreck in Acts 27. If you've ever wondered why Acts 27 is so detailed, it's because Luke, who's the writer, is on the ship. So he remembers every bit of water that went in his socks. And that's why it's so detailed. As you get to the end of Acts, it's like all the stories are drawn out really long. It's because the writer was present. And therefore, as you would expect, the accounts are much more detailed because the writer, Luke, is actually present. And so he's present during this shipwreck, which is a great long uh, you know, set of verses, 44, 45 verses. And then Acts 28, they end up on Malta. And it says in verse 7, there was an estate nearby that is now believed to be uh, um, the capital of Malta um, that belonged to um, Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and, he, and healed him. And that's great. But it's verse 9. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. Ah, wow, come on, come on. The rest of the sick on the island. Well, I think that's an extraordinary demonstration of God's power, isn't it? That uh, there are times when Jesus went, when he went under those arches, you know, and the people were waiting for the water to stir in John chapter 5. Jesus goes in, heals one man, and they walk out. The whole place was full of sick. It's the nearest thing we've got to Adderbrooks. It's the nearest thing we've got to a hospital, I mean. In the Bible, Jesus goes into a hospital. All these people are sick, waiting for the water to stir. And By the way, an angel, that's what they thought would happen, an angel, but uh, just to be absolutely precise, it doesn't say an angel came down and stood the waters. It says that they believed an angel came and stood the waters. So just, I'll just throw that in. They believed an angel would stir the waters. And uh, so while they're there, they, all these people are ill. And Jesus goes into a hospital, heals one person and comes out. That's interesting, isn't it? For our theology of healing the sick. One person. Jesus said, I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I hear my father saying. And there, there can be a sense of God through Christ being guided to certain individuals to, you know, to bring something to them at a specific time. People say, well, if you have the gifts of healings, why don't you just go in the hospitals and, you know, clear them all out? What, you know, why, do, or why don't you do that? Well, the answer is most of us are in A&E ourselves. Uh, 
But, but actually, there, there isn't a mandate in the Bible to go and cure everybody. That, that, that isn't in the Bible. In the same way that you're not, you're not, even if you're a prophet, you're not called to prophesy over everybody. Yes? We know in part. We prophesy in part. I suggest we heal in part. And uh, so it's very, very interesting. But here, everyone is cured. And this, this did happen to me once. I was in just outside Rio de Janeiro. The, the organizer said to me, where would you like to go this time? I said, oh. And he offered me Rio. Now, I don't know what you think about when you think about Rio, but I think about a giant statue of Jesus. That's what I think about, you know. And I think about a big beach. Now, I'm not a beach person, but I, I thought, oh, could I have been to some ropey places? And I thought, this feels a bit more west, western to me, rather than the wild west, which is what normally is. So I said, I want to go to Rio. Yes, I think God's calling me there. I thought, I'll have my picture taken with the statue, and it's going to be great, and I'll have a day off. And Boy, boy, big mistake. It's a terrible place. Kids driving around on scooter bikes with machine guns. I think, where's the beach, Lord? I'm going to die. I was just saying to, to uh, uh, Ricky a little bit earlier, we were driving in the car going into one of the areas of Rio, and they drive so fast. And you get to the, the traffic lights, and the traffic lights to them are just suggestions as to what you might want to do. They're not, they're not in any way authoritative. Red just means stop if you want. And speed bumps, supposed to slow you down, they are invitations to do Dukes of Hazard style. Yeah! And I'm with that now. I, in such a, I'm trying to be all humble. I'm terrified. I'm in the back of the car thinking, oh, Lord, I'm going to die any minute now. I'd rather go to the Wild West. So I said to the guy, after the second trip, I said, I can't bear this. So I said, will you please tell him? To slow down. We went so far. We went so far. I thought, um, we're going back in time. And he turned to me and he said this. He said, if we stop, we will be taken. So I thought about it. I said, oh, tell him to speed up. <laughs> Got to a red light. Keep going. But in that meeting, it was like a ballroom, like a dance hall. And sorry, again, I've told this story so many times, but I'm preaching there. And there's the sound of machine gun fire in the street just outside. I thought it was in where eagles dare. There's machine guns. So I think, right, machine guns. I wonder what they do here. What do they do? They turn the mic up. That's what they do. They just turn the mic up, make you a bit louder. Okay, well, everyone seems to be okay. All the deacons are running around, but everyone seems to be okay. And then I finished preaching. There's about 100 people there. And then I finished preaching. I said, anyone want prayer, come forward. And everyone came forward. And as God is my witness, to the best of my recollection, to the best of my knowledge, every single person was healed in that room. Every single person. Now, I don't know what happened to them afterwards, etc., etc. I didn't follow them to hospitals and check them out. But everyone who came with a problem, within a few seconds, they were cured of it. I would just went one after the other after the other. In fact, I have to confess, at one point, I just wanted to stop. Because I thought, 
Sooner or later, someone's going to come and go, I don't feel better. I thought, I want to I wanna keep this 100% record going. But now they kept coming and they kept being healed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. One girl came, she had a lump in her, on her neck like this. I prayed for her and I said, give it 10 minutes and it will be gone. And they, were, they had like Coca-Cola at the back and probably bulletproof vests. So I said, why don't you go to the back, get a Coke and have a drink. When you come back in 10 minutes, it will be gone. And I knew this because I'd seen three lumps disappear in that, in that, in just in that one week. And I knew it took about 10 minutes for them to dissolve away. Well, that was my experience then. So sure enough, she goes to the back, she gets a Coke, 10 minutes later, comes back. There was no lump, it had gone. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do I want to go back there? I don't know if I want to go back there. bit dangerous. But God did extraordinary miracles. And God sometimes does that. Other times, he walks into one room with a whole lot of sick people and cures one person, and they leave together. Mystery, isn't it? Yes, mystery. It's, it's a mystery. Don't try and solve it. It will be a mystery or, uh, until we get to heaven. There's no way to solve it. It isn't about more faith or more power or anything like that. It's just a mystery. Hallelujah. Paul knew what it was also um, to leave people ill. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20, look. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. So there there was a man who knew what it was to see everyone healed. But he also left his mate ill. And that's exactly what will happen today. There will be times of great moving of God and wonderful things happening. And there will be times when you'll leave your friends sick at home. And say, I'll be back to pray with you and bring you some shopping tomorrow. <laughs> and guess what? That's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Heal the sick, look after the sick. Both of the things are Jesus things to do. Let me do one more. Let me do one more. And we'll pick it up again next week. Number six is healing is a gift of grace. Let me just finish with this. Go to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 2. There is a little um, myth that maybe you've heard of or even bought into or taught or said or whatever. That the reason why we don't see power in the church today is because we are backslidden, lukewarm, you know, not really on fire for God. If only we had 24 hours prayer, intercession, bound the devils of illness or whatever it is. If only we fasted more, etc., etc., then we would have power among us in, in wonderful ways. Now, before I get into trouble, of course, if we got closer to God, life would be much better. So fasting and praying and praying all night and seeking God is to be encouraged. However, let's not believe for one moment that the reason why we might see miracles in our church is because we are holier than some other church. 
or the reason why you might pray for someone and they get healed is because you just happen to be extra holy that day. All our righteousness is as what? Filthy rags to God. And I believe, by the way, I'm not, I don't think that's referring to when we weren't saved. I think that's referring to when we are saved. Every, everything I can do that's righteous is just a filthy rag to God. So there can come a mentality that if you sanctify yourself, get closer to God, get holy fast for 40 days, etc., God will somehow use you more. Now, that may well be true. That may well be true, and it won't do you any harm to get close to God. 2 Timothy 2, if a man cleanses himself of ignoble things, he will be useful to the master. So, uh, there's no question that it's good to be holy. But the idea that if you are holy, we will see more powerful things occur, that is not a teaching of the Bible. In fact, that is a teaching of Roman Catholicism. That if someone works a miracle, they are a saint. A special person close to God. Miracles are not signs of saints. They are signs of God. Can you say amen? Can you say amen? Yeah. If you're listening on iTunes, can you say amen? Amen. Miracles are not signs of saints. They are signs of God. And the thing that releases the miraculous power of God is faith. Action. It doesn't help you. It doesn't hinder you to be holy as well. It's good to keep the vessel clean so God can use us. But the idea that actually if only we were more holy, we'd see more miracles. I don't believe that's in the Bible at all. In fact, I think it's counter. Counter to the Bible's message. Paul says this in Galatians, chapter 3 and verse 2. He says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? I'll put it in my version. Have you received the Spirit because you're holy or have you received the Spirit because you believed? Is the thing that's releasing the Holy Spirit faith or is it your personal moral behavior? You know, obedience to the law. And he's, it's, a, it's a rhetorical question. He's saying to them, the reason the Holy Spirit is moving among you is because of your faith. Not because of your holy lifestyle. Just go back to Acts chapter 3. It's the last scripture we'll look at. Where this is explicitly stated. Acts chapter 3. I wonder if you've ever heard the phrase charisma or charismatic. Charisma. You ready for a Bible nugget? The word charisma was invented, it is believed, by Paul himself. He made up a word. Yeah, look how stunned you are at that. You can dine out on that for the rest of your lives. Paul, the apostle, made up, so it is believed, the word charisma. It didn't exist before Paul. He made it up. He made, Jane always accuses me of making up words. 
I love to add the, the, the phrase urge onto the, end, onto the end of words. So instead of web, I'll say webbage. I said, are we going to go out and have some foodage? He said, Pete, you're making up words. It's food. No, no, I, I really feel we should have some foodage. I might use that tomorrow night. You can make up a word. And Paul made up a word. He made up the word charisma. Now, I know we all know the word today. Oh, what a wonderful charisma some person has. And the word um, charisma means a gift of grace. The word charis means grace. The grace of God. Charisma to theu. The grace of God. Charis means grace. Charisma means a gift given by grace. The point is that as Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit, he deliberately makes up a word to say that these are undeserved things that God does. They are things of grace, not law. They are things of favor, not what we deserve. If you believe that God will use you when you get holy enough. How many of you know that you're on a bit of a losing wicket there? Sometimes you have to be a fool for Christ, actually, to think, me, with my prayer life, me, with my moral behavior this week, me, with my passion for God, me, have a prophecy, that doesn't work. Yes, it does. Because it is a charisma. It is undeserved. Again, when you've been here so long, you do tell stories again and again. But um, I remember one time I was uh, getting ready to preach. In the early days of preaching, I'd prepare and get, get all the books and get ready and praying and, you know, fast. Oh, God, I'm going to preach. Oh, God, help me. Oh. And, uh, and uh, by the way, that's, that's probably a good thing, to seek God. Of course it is. But one time I remember, the very early days, I, I had to preach one Sunday, Sunday night, I think. And I remember I just, I'd had a bad week. I wasn't great for Jesus. I hadn't prayed very much. I wasn't tip-top. I was not tip-top. And I remember sitting and I knew that, you know, this, this final hymn and then Peter's going to preach. I'm saying, oh, God, it's going to be a disaster because I, I, Lord, I just haven't been holy enough. This I've not got close to you. I'm not going to have the oil on me. I said, Lord, please, will you help me? I'm not worthy this week. And I've never in my life heard the voice of God so clear was on that occasion. I'm going back nearly 20 years ago. And the Lord spoke to me, almost in a voice, so loud, not audible, but inside my head. I said, Lord, I'm not, I'm not worthy this week. And the Lord said to me immediately, he said, son, you weren't worthy last week. <laughs> you weren't worthy. And, and, you, and guess what? I haven't been worthy ever since. I haven't been tip-top ever since. I'm not worthy now. I'm not going to be worthy next week either. We're not worthy, are we? It's a gift of grace. And sometimes God will shock you. 
In fact, I speak by the Holy Spirit now, and I tell you, some of you are going to have the worst week you've had. You're going to tell a lie at work. <laughs> You're going to fall out with someone. There's going to be conflict. And that is the very week where God will give you a word of knowledge, and you'll think, oh, no, it can't possibly be right. Because it doesn't work with my theology. I have to be holy to hear from God. Do you really? Well, when's that going to happen? When you're dead. When perfection comes. And by the way, when we're all in heaven, I won't be interested in your prophecy about the future. It's not going to work up there, is it? I want to pray for you to be sick. Well, I've got a perfect body now. Sometimes, and maybe this is, maybe just this phrase is worth you coming out tonight. You have to be such a fool for Christ that you have to dare to believe that God could even use you in the state you're in, <laughs> you know, the place where you're at. And if you're looking at me thinking, I don't know what he means where you're in a worse state than everyone else. <laughs> but we're all in a bit of a state. Can you say amen? Good. We're all not tip-top all the time. Or as I call it, tip-toppage. We're not. Look what Peter says. A miracle occurs in Acts chapter 3. Just read, read this and then we'll pray together. Acts chapter 3. The lame man. By the way, uh, just to throw in a little Bible nugget. People think that they were walking and the lame man was at the gate. He was not. He was being carried towards them. It's an amazing passage of scripture. Yeah, you, every time you heard this preach, they were walking. And there he was begging. And they went and prayed for him. Is that what you thought happened? You read it, that's not what happened. He's being carried to the gate. It's amazing. He was just being carried right into his miracle. It's even more amazing than it first seems. Uh, is that true? Shall we find that? Uh, now a man crippled from birth, verse 2, was being carried to the temple gate. Isn't that amazing little detail? You like that? Is that worth, is that worth coming out? He was not at the gate. He was being carried to the gate. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? So they were carrying him. And that's where they met. Glory to God. God wanted that man cured. He brought that man to the apostles that day. So it's even more. Anyway, you don't look very impressed. But I think it's good that. And they pray for him. And he's healed. And this is what Peter says, verse 12. When Peter saw this, that the, the people were astonished in verse 11. So it's all about this being adored thing. Oh, these are miracle men or whatever. When Peter saw this, he said to the men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us? As if by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk. It's the first thing he says to them. It's not, we are not holy. That's the first thing he says. We are not holy. It is not our power and it is not our godliness that's made this man walk. I hope you're encouraged by that. I am. Then he goes on, verse 16. It's by faith in the name of Jesus that's made him to be healed. It is not our holy behavior. I say again. In case I'm misquoted, of course we should be holy. <laughs> of course we should live clean. I once went to a church and the guy said, we're going to have a breakthrough in the miraculous in this church. That's what he said. He said, I believe the secret is holiness. And my heart just dropped. 
I thought, if you think that, you're going to be waiting until the second coming. You wait to the second coming. We're all a bit of a shambles. We all have weaknesses and all that. But God gives charisma to us. Grace gifts. Even made up a word to convey it as strong as he possibly could. So may God use us in the, in the healing of the sick. Thank you for listening to the, to the podcast. Thank you for listening and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.